Hey, good morning. Uh, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5. We'll be finishing up this chapter in our study in John. I'll begin reading in verse 31. This is Jesus speaking, closing out a sermon that he's been giving. He says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe you receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you from the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus, I ask that as we look at those that bear witness of you, that we would have eyes to see, that we would have hearts that are believing, um, that we would be able to see you high and lifted up and not miss it, um, not, not misunderstand um, or, or be unable to hear uh, the Father and the Spirit testifying of the Son. We ask for understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, someone's reputation should matter a great deal to them. Reputation matters. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, it says, A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 1 says the same thing. Basically, a good name is more desirable than great wealth. And this is true of friends and employees, and it, it is true of places that you, you shop and, or places that you do business, restaurants you go to. You know, what do you do when you need work done on your car or your house that you can't do yourself? You ask around, and you, you read the reviews. And, you know, what people say about a thing, it matters. What people say about a person, um, that's a, those things are very important. It matters. And, um, but it, it's not always just what people say. It's usually about what kind of person that is that's giving the report, right? Um, it's about who says what. And here in John chapter 5, Jesus is defending his reputation, really. Uh, and in, in the sermon uh, in John 5, he's spoken at length about his own authority, right? He's, he's claimed equality with God. He's been very thorough. He's been very bold, even blunt. Uh, there's not been a single moment in time where Jesus had, has sidestepped or, or avoided the accusation that he has made himself equal to God. And he said some, some pretty remarkable things about himself, like that he has life within himself, and that the dead will hear his voice, and that he does the work of God, his Father, and that he will judge the souls of every person who's ever lived. These are remarkable things. These are some, 
pretty significant claims, and I think you would agree. Now, when, when a person comes to you and makes claims like this, some uh, you know corroboration might be in order. It would not be out of place to, to ask, oh, are you sure? Uh, who says? You know, do you, can you back that up? Are you just telling stories here? So Jesus has shared who he really is, who he truly is, and now he's going to back up those claims about his reputation uh, with other people who have good reputation. He's, he's not just saying that his identity matches the reputation that he says, you know, that he has, uh, say, in Nazareth, which would probably be, you know, Joseph's boy. That would be his reputation in Nazareth. And he's not saying that his reputation on earth is, is accurate at all. You know, his reputation in Jerusalem might be rabbi, teacher, troublemaker, probably. Um, because while it's true that what people say about you is important, there are more important and notable sources than just people. Um, if you fill out an application, there's usually a spot for you to put your references. These are character references. These are people that can vouch for your reputation. And you get to choose those references, which is really nice. And that's what Jesus is doing here. There are five witnesses that Jesus, uh, who, who witness about Jesus in this passage. One is Jesus himself. Five sources that speak about Jesus on which his reputation is built. And the first is himself, which he admits right away isn't quite fair. Or at least uh, it, it won't be very convincing. You know, if, if you're the only one who says you're awesome, people might question you. Um... The second witness is John the Baptist. And having a prophet as a character reference is a pretty good start, I would say. Uh, next is the works of Jesus. People don't want words. They want to see what you can do. And actions speak louder than words. We know this. So Jesus points to his deeds as evidence of his good reputation, of his identity. The third witness is God the Father, God himself. God himself has things to say about his son, Jesus. And so Jesus, who has received all he has from the Father, says, look what he says about me. Only he says, you can't hear what he says about me. You'll never hear what he says about me because you're not receiving me. And the only way to the Father is through the Son. Um, but he still includes the Father as a character witness. Uh, the fourth witness to whom Jesus is, uh, Jesus calls, it, it, is the scripture. Um, These are they that speak of me. The whole Bible points to Jesus himself. It bears witness to Jesus. It shows us who Jesus is. And, and finally, near the end of the chapter there, he, he calls Moses as a witness. Moses testifies. Not, actually, not only about Jesus. It might, it might be accurate to say that uh, Moses has a different purpose on the stand. Because Moses testifies against the people who would condemn Jesus. So we get five different perspectives, five expert witnesses on the subject of Jesus. And, and you know, it, it's important what people say about you, but it's important who is saying what. And near the end of this passage, um, where is it? Uh, yeah, he says that, uh, verse 44, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Um, so Jesus says, like, you think that reputation comes from what the people around you say. There's a more important source. There's more important character references, like the scripture, like God the Father, like the prophets, like the law. And so Jesus goes to those sources to say, what do they say about me? And, and at the end of the sermon, we'll have to ask, what do they say about us? Because the reputation that we have in the eyes of God 
in light of the law and the prophets, this is important. Um, this is really what will make or break our reputation. So, five different perspectives, five expert witnesses on the subject of Jesus. The first witness is himself, and Jesus says this, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And already we've got some explaining to do, because uh, this doesn't make sense the way we use English and the way we talk about theology. How could anything that Jesus says not be true? Uh, well, you, there might be a note in your Bible that explains this meaning. Um, the witness is not valid testimony. That might be a better translation, and it makes more sense. This doesn't mean that his testimony would suddenly become a lie. That's not how truth works. It's just that it wouldn't hold up in court, in a court of law. And this is according to the law uh, in Scripture, the law of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. So Jesus recognizes, under the law of Moses, if I'm the only one bearing witness, my witness would not be true or would not stand as a valid testimony. So he calls these other witnesses to the stand. Verse 32 says, There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. It, it, it's nice when, you know, when you fill out the job application, that you get to choose the references. Like, what if they had just picked people at random that you went to school with? That would be terrifying. But, but you get to choose the character references. You get to pick the people who are going to say the right things. And so Jesus picks first John the Baptist. He says, You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Uh, John the Baptist, Jesus says elsewhere, was the greatest man ever born. John the Baptist, as we saw at the beginning of this book of John, he considered himself to be nothing more than a voice, the voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and here Jesus says that John is a light, he's a burning lamp. And in, uh, in those days, the, the teachers of the law, the real teachers, would be called the lamps of Israel. And so Jesus says, like, he was the best teacher. And, and this is a really fitting description of John, because John was like a spotlight that was shining his light onto Jesus. That's, that's what John's ministry was like. And Jesus says, you sent to John. And they did. Remember, these, the, the leaders of the Jews, they had sent an official investigation to see what this John the Baptist guy was really all about. And they interrogate him. And, and when Jesus says, you sent to him, he's saying, you knew this guy was important. Now, Jesus will bring this up again in his final week before the cross, uh, when he's asked about his authority, which is something that this chapter handles well. Uh, and Jesus says, well, tell me this first, where did John get his authority from, men or God? And, and they couldn't answer. Not because they didn't know, but because they couldn't answer, because they knew that John's authority was clearly divine. And if they knew that John bore witness of Jesus, and they knew that if they denied, you know, they denied this, they were denying a divine witness, well, they would, they would be confessing that they were liars. And they knew that if they denied that John had authority from God, they would lose a lot of popularity and credibility with the crowds who were all certain that John was from God. Again, reputation is important. Even Jesus' enemies do just about anything to protect their own. So John the Baptist, he has this famous line, right? I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord, in John's testimony, very clearly is God himself. But John, the Baptist, very clearly was preparing the way for Jesus of Nazareth. 
So Jesus, in making his case in John 5 about his authority and about his equality with God, he points back to John the Baptist because John the Baptist had attested that Jesus is God. And in order to save the people he's talking to, he calls John to the stand, reminding them that you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. You heard John. You rejoiced for a while, at least, in John's light. But I'm telling you, I am the light that gave him his source. And I am what the light was shining on. The next witness Jesus calls is his own works. He says, but I, I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So he's moving up the ladder. The next witness is greater than John's. And he says, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. What are his works? They are the signs, of, of course, water to wine, healing the sick, the miracles of Jesus. They're, these are things that, that were done in order to bring people to faith. The signs point somewhere, remember? And the signs are things that only God can do. One of the miracles that the Apostle John doesn't include in his gospel is the healing of the paralytic, who had been let down from the hole in the roof, right? The, the house was too crowded, his friends carry him up to the roof, they rip a hole in it, and they let down the paralytic down through, you know, by ropes right in front of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive, God, forgive sins but God alone? This is important. Because the people on this occasion knew that Jesus was, was claiming equality with God. He is saying he can do something that only God can do. And on that occasion, like this one, Jesus leans into the accusation and says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. You know, they conceded only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus says, so that you may know that I have God's power, I'm going to heal the man too. Because to say get up is the harder thing to say since it demands evidence. The signs of Jesus verify that he had spiritual authority. And not just any spiritual authority, but the, the authority of God himself. This is how Jesus can say, my works are the greater witness. His works verified his power, and his power was the power that only God have. The next witness Jesus calls is the Father himself. So he started with a prophet, then he goes to his works, and now he goes to the Father. This is probably the, the greatest witness that he could have, right? God himself. Verse 37 says, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent him you do not believe. Now, Jesus will tell Philip at the Last Supper in the upper room, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this is the ministry of the Son of God, to, to declare the Father. Just as the ministry of the Spirit is to shine a light on the Son of God, the ministry of the Son is to declare, to make known God the Father. John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen the Father. The only begotten Son has declared him. But what about his voice? Jesus tells these people, you have not heard his voice at any time. Uh, now, this cannot be applied to all people, 
the way John 1.18 does to seeing God. No one has ever seen God at any time. Um, but we know that some people have heard the voice of God because Jesus says, the Father has testified of me. Um, there's at least one place in recent past where this had literally happened to people that were probably here listening to Jesus speak. That was at his baptism. John, uh, sorry, Matthew 3.16, the other 3.16. Matthew 3.16 uh, where we see the whole trinity in place at one time. The Son is baptized, the Spirit descends as a dove, and a voice comes from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's one place where the Father testifies of Jesus and somebody heard it because somebody wrote it down. And his voice was heard. But Jesus says, not only have you never seen the Father, you, his direct audience right there, the people accusing him right now, you've never heard him either. Now, how can this be true? Um, this can be true because acceptance of Jesus is actually a prerequisite for hearing the Father. Jesus is the only one who is sent. And, and since they do not believe him, they cannot hear the one who sent him. That's what Jesus is arguing right here. To the ones who are not receptive to Christ, they could never hear the Father. There, there's another time when the Father vocally testifies of the Son, and people hear him. Actually, two more times. There's the Mount of Transfiguration, and then in chapter 12 in Jerusalem. And I'll, I'll read you the passage after a cup of coffee. Um, John chapter 12. No, sorry. Is it John 12? Yeah. Verse 27. Jesus is praying. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it, and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Uh, so do you see what happened? So the, the Father spoke. The Father testified. Jesus was praying to the Father, saying, Glorify your name. A voice said, I have glorified it. That's the Father's voice. And some people heard it. But those who were hostile to Jesus were unable to hear it as a voice. That's why they say, well, it's just thunder. That was just a storm or something. That was weird. But it was just a storm. They, didn't, they weren't able to distinguish words. That's what Jesus is telling the people in here in John 5, who, if you need a reminder, they're willing now to kill Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. They are so against Jesus, they can never hear their Father calling for them. But that does not make the Father's testimony any less valid. The Father testifies of the Son three times, audibly, and then silently with every miracle, and emphatically with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the Father testifies about the Son. Now, since Jesus has said in this sermon, the Son can do nothing unless the Father wills it, then that means that every healing, every, uh, every miracle, every sermon, uh, every multiplication of bread and fish, every drop of water turned to, to wine, all of that was evidence of the Father's validation, the Father's approval of the Son's ministry. So, so God himself has placed his stamp of approval on the Son's ministry. And this is pretty much what Peter actually says in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it's a Pentecost sermon. Acts 2.22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. The Father's affirmation is evident through the work of Jesus, throughout the work of Jesus. 
But to, to see and perceive the work of the Father, you must be accepting of, of Jesus. Without, when, when Jesus says that no one comes to the Father but by me, he means that through, in every way possible. The only way that you can get to know God is if the Son reveals to you who God is. Jesus is the only access point we humans have to the divine. Now, the next witness Jesus calls to the stand is the scriptures themselves. All right? So you have uh, Jesus himself. Then you have um, John the Baptist, the prophets. Then you have his works. Then you, here you have the word of God. So the scripture. Uh, verse 39 says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And then they're going to read through to the end of the, the chapter here. Uh, verse 41. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. People understand selfishness because we're selfish. Um, that's basically what he says right there. Verse 44. How can you believe you receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now these are the, the last two witnesses. We'll take Moses by himself in a second. But the scriptures testify of Jesus himself. Now this is, this is a hard verse sometimes. Even, you know, maybe especially for us evangelicals. We search the scriptures, hopefully. You know, we memorize Bible verses. We read the Bible every day. We love the Scripture. That's what our church services are. We gather around the Scripture. But it is possible to love something in the wrong way. Or love something for the wrong purpose. To love the Scripture without loving Jesus is, is really just a kind of idolatry. An easy way to see whether or not you're prone to, to failing in this, if you want to do a heart checkup, is this. Ask yourself this, does your time in the scripture lead to more or less loving of people? Uh, the scriptures are an avenue for you to pursue God. And when you love God, you will love people more and more. That's just the way it works. But if you shut that avenue off and pursue scripture because you're seeking something else, or seeking scripture for its own sake, or, or wanting it selfishly, even, even to better life for yourself, the result will be all the fruits of selfishness. And this is, a, this is a trap that is easy for the Christian to fall into. So we guard against it by directing our hearts to Christ before we open the word, the word so that we're looking to him alone. The religious people Jesus is talking to had a high view of scripture. And we would say that's a good thing. They, they even knew that there is life in the scriptures. And because the word of God is, is God-breathed, you know, we, we say that's true. Just like God breathed life into Adam to make him alive, God has breathed the scriptures to make them living. You know, but, but in another way, we know from the writings of Paul that it's the letter that kills and the spirit that gives life. The spirit, the breath that gives life. The, the Bible is both letter and spirit. It is inspired words, but it is possible to just take the words and leave out the Spirit. And Paul talks about that. He says, knowledge puffs up, love edifies. Jesus is telling these Bible scholars, he's saying, you looked at the Scripture for your own sake, your own eternal life. You looked at the Scriptures so, so that you could become better or smarter or more respected or more successful. But the Scriptures are about me. 
Jesus gives us our only good Bible study method. Read the scripture for Jesus' sake. Read the scripture and look for Jesus. It's not that hard. It's easier than Where's Waldo. Okay, the book is about Jesus. Jesus is telling them what he would further explain to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. That the law and the prophets are all about Christ. God meeting Adam in, in the garden, that's Jesus. The law being given to Moses, Jesus is there. The sacrifices and the offerings in the tabernacle, these are symbols pointing to Jesus. The priests, the prophets, the kings, they're all anticipating Jesus. Jesus says if you're reading the Bible and not seeing him, then you're reading it wrong. But, but there's a temptation and a tendency to look at the scripture to find yourself, right? And, and God is merciful to show us that, yes, this applies to you. And the Bible does speak to every situation of life. It speaks to current events, whether or not they're current anymore. Every era of history has been spoken to by the timeless word of God. Um, but I, I'm sure you found yourself doing this, reading the Psalms uh, and thinking, well, that, that, you know, this Psalm is kind of sad. That's not how I feel. This one must not be for me. Turn the page. I'll try another one. Well, the Psalms aren't about you. Um, it, they're about Jesus. <laughs> the scripture points to him. The personal application is for you to worship the one who the book is about. And so that's what these, these five witnesses attest to. Each of the witnesses that Jesus calls to the stand is saying the same thing. This is the Christ. Worship him. This is my beloved son. Hear him. You know, John the Baptist pointed to Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and pointed people to follow Him. The works of Jesus invite all those who see them to worship Him. The Father says, this is my Son here, and the Scriptures say, worship God. And now Moses, who they love, is going to condemn them for not believing in Jesus. But Moses also would say, God's going to raise up a prophet like me. He, he's the one that would write that stuff down. And that's about Jesus. Moses is going to condemn the people for not believing in their Savior. Because in spite of all these witnesses, in spite of all this evidence, there is something standing in the way of the worship that these witnesses call us to, and that's unwillingness and unbelief. Verse 40 says, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You don't want to. And then in verse 45, he says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And Jesus, in defending his reputation, knows that the witnesses he called aren't really going to tip the scales in his favor. Because while the people think they honor the Father, they don't. While they think they love the scriptures, really they, they just love themselves, and they found a way that the scriptures can be twisted to help them in that selfishness. Now, Jesus here, at the end of this sermon, at the end of the chapter, he defends his reputation, not in order to receive honor, but to provide salvation. He says, I say this so that you may be saved. He's not just doing this in order to puff himself up or to show off. He's showing the people who he is from all of these perspectives because people are dumb and oftentimes they don't know what's right in front of them. They're looking at Jesus and they can see him only for who they want him to be and not for who he is. And of course, the first strategy in telling, trying to tell someone who you are is to tell them who you are. That's the first witness. That's Jesus saying, this is who I am. I'm, I'm talking about myself. And then he says, I know you're not going to believe that. 
So, well, how about John the Baptist? Did you listen to him? How about the works I've done, the miracles and the acts of mercy? Do you remember those? Did you see those? How about God? Do you care what he says? What about the scripture? I know you love the scripture. What about what the scripture says about me? And so he gives these separate angles, these different perspectives, so that if they can't see the Jesus standing right in front of them, perhaps they can see one that Isaiah prophesies of. Or perhaps they'll be able to see the resemblance finally between Jesus and Moses, these two leaders of the people of Israel. Or, or maybe they'll, they'll see that, you know, the difference between Jesus who heals on the Sabbath and, and the, the Lord that John the Baptist prepared the way for and see this is the same person here. So Jesus invites people to seek him on these different avenues. And, you know, I, I began by saying how important a person's reputation is. And I'm sure we're all, we all agree on that point. And how reputation is built by authorities. It matters who says the, the thing about you or about a person. You know, Jesus had a reputation in his own hometown, but it wasn't accurate. It didn't affect his identity. It didn't, wasn't really informed by reality. What people said about Jesus wasn't as important as what God said about Jesus. Because what people said about him wasn't as accurate as what God said about him. Now, I just said that, you know, the scriptures are about Jesus, and we go to the scriptures not to see ourselves, but to see Christ. But he is merciful to give us personal application. And the thrust of this message is hopefully the same as most of the messages that I preach, which is this, look to Jesus. Look to him in the prophets. Look to him in the scriptures. Look to him in his works. Look to him in his words. But there's another application here, not an interpretation, but an application, an underlying theme of less importance that still deserves mention. Jesus shows how reputations are built. Now, all of you have a reputation. You probably have several, actually, because some people think of you one way and others think of you another way, but there's, there's a proper way to have a reputation built. There's a proper way to have your name established. And people may say something about you. You may say something about yourself. But these witnesses that Jesus calls, all of these witnesses have something to say about you too. Jesus says, I'm not just saying this about myself, and that's good advice for you to follow as well for a different reason. You can't just say who you are based on who you think you are. There are better witnesses that speak up. There are, there are higher authorities on the subject of you. You know, Jesus references John the Baptist and Moses. John the Baptist said that Jesus is the light, the Lord, the King, and he had things to say about people, too. John is the last of the prophets, okay? Moses represents the law, and, and John represents the prophets. And, and, and the prophet, John the Baptist, he, he judges the people according to the law of Moses and says that the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and there are only two kinds of trees, the kind that bears good fruit and the other kind that gets burned. You are one of those kinds of trees. You have a reputation when you put your life up against the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus says that his own works bear witness to him, and yours do too. How you live, that's your reputation, really, right? We talked about this last week. The fruit, your, your fruit is the evidence of the condition of your roots. James says that we have to be doers of the word and not hearers only, and that's the building of the Christian's reputation. Now, of course, Jesus relies for his reputation on the witness of the Father. The Father has spoken. And aren't you glad that your reputation doesn't end with Moses and the prophets? 
The Father has spoken of Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is also the source for your reputation and your identity. This is the most important part of your reputation. It's who your Father says you are. Now John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, But as many as receive him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Receiving Jesus and being born again, these are prerequisites for becoming children of God. But if that's you, then God is your father. And here's the coolest part. that The words that the father says about his firstborn, he now says about you, his adopted child. The words that God says about Jesus are true about you now. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. His favor rests on you because of the grace that you access through Jesus Christ. But this is what this is what God says about Jesus first and foremost, but those who become children of God become beloved children. There's not another kind. That's the only way it works. And what your father says about you is this, you are beloved. And if you want more of that list, the scripture contain, uh, continues identifying the people of God, probably nowhere better than Ephesians 1. You know that I spent a lot of time in Ephesians 1 when we went through that book. But it says all about what the believer is, and it's a beautiful passage. Jesus says of the scriptures, these are they that speak of me. And the first order of hermeneutic, that's just a fancy word for Bible study, is look for Jesus. The Bible speaks about Christ. So I don't want to lead you astray here and into the place where you open the Bibles only to look for you and your own identity, but, but we would also be wrong to look anywhere other than the Bible for our identity as Christians, as believers. The Bible speaks about Jesus, but as his followers, it speaks about you too. In Ephesians 1, it says that you're a saint. It says that you're blessed. It says that you're chosen to be, a holy, to be holy and blameless. It says that you're adopted. It says that you're redeemed. And Jesus, when, when faced with the obligation to make an answer for himself, pointed out what the scripture and what his father says about him. You know what? What the prophet said about him was true. What his father says about him is true. And, and I hope that the point of this passage in, in all John chapter 5 is, look how great Jesus is. He is exalted. He is, has authority. He is amazing. And, and there's these several witnesses all coming together and saying, shining that spotlight on Jesus of Nazareth. But also, it, it, we know in Scripture that it's important for us, for us as believers, to know who we are. And we would be amiss if we looked anywhere else for, for our own definition, identity, and reputation. And we can give thanks to God that if we are in Christ, then we have the same reputation that he has. We are beloved children. Let's pray. Jesus, we, I, I thank you for this truth. I, I hope that it made it through to the hearers. I hope, God, that you will continue to work this into my own heart. Lord, I, I ask that as we see the exalted Christ, that we would have a desire and an appetite to be nowhere but in his presence. That, that as we look uh, around us and look at, look at the, the world and we look in us and see that according to the law, according to the prophets, we made a lot of mistakes and we're, we're not the pure, holy people that you, you say we are. God, to, to that I, I say that as we look at Christ, would you reawaken our imagination 
to see us as you see us, to see ourselves as in Christ? Would we have that desire and that appetite to have only Christ in us, the hope of glory? I thank you for your word. I thank you for the witness of the Father. I thank you that Jesus Christ is God. We worship you. Amen.